Welcome to Redemption Unveiled. Do you ever feel like something is missing from your faith? Disappointed in life? Hi, I'm Haley, and I want to help you get a clear plan so that you can show up for the adventure God made for you. Because I don't believe anyone should end up disappointed with the only life they get. But it's not just that. I know that the earth is waiting for you to show up. Redemption Unveiled. Let's do this. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to have a special guest for you today. It's been a little while since we've had a guest, and honestly, I've wanted to get back into guests regularly. That's how I had it for a long time on the podcast, and I am happy to finally be back here. So welcome back, and before we get into that, I want to remind you that at the first of the year, I am going to have an opportunity for you to really kickstart your new year and to get your life organized, to get your priorities set for the year. And I'm very excited to tell you about that. And like I mentioned last week, I will have more details soon. And just be ready. If you really are feeling a stirring in your heart to this next year, really dive into what God has for you and you want some practical ways and clarity on how to do that, then make sure and tune in and come back here because I'll have more details for you next week. Now, as you know, we just finished off the series on what an adventure entails. And the reason why I'm so excited for today is because I have my mom on and I'm going to really walk through a very exciting adventure that she took and we're going to look at all the parts that we've discussed over the last few weeks and how it really looks like in life. I understand that sometimes when we learn about things, whether that be in the Bible or um, at a Sunday morning or different things, it's easy to be really inspired but then kind of struggle on how to implement what we just learned into our regular day life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I would like to welcome my mom back again, fan favorite, Shelly. Welcome. Hello, mother. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm very excited for today. (coughs) We are going to be talking about a very exciting adventure that you took in your life, and I know that everyone is going to love hearing this story. So before we get started, kind of into the details, what when you look at this adventure that you took, how would you describe it? What happened in your life? Well... First of all, I'd like to say I am not a super adventuresome person. So, you know, everybody's adventures look a little bit different. But I wouldn't say that I was, you know, I had a sister that was very adventuresome who wanted to bungee jump or wanted to. I'm more of I just want to watch and enjoy through other people. And, you know, even in our travel, yeah, we traveled and But I was never one that just hopped on all the mission trips or, you know, I would prefer to travel on a cruise ship and have someone take me where I was supposed to go. You know, I wasn't going to go out and hike the wilderness by myself. So, you know, personality wise, everyone's adventures look what I thought was an adventure. Probably, probably the biggest adventure of my life 
was just building our family and having the six kids and having, you know, I've always been willing to go on adventures with people, relationships, like I will take a chance on you, you know, where maybe not so much physically, but in relationships, I am an adventurer. I'm like more the merrier. Let's do this. It's all fun. And let's find out about ourselves. So that's kind of, you know, who I am as what you would say an adventurer. adventurer that's what I would say that I am. Mm-hmm. What was the idea that you got? So I always say like when we just went through the series and one of the first things you need is an idea. You need a quest. So what is it that started becoming an idea in your mind that you needed to do? Well, just like what I was saying before, you know, I'm a gatherer of people. Like I I even, my husband used to say that I would... Um, covet other people's children like I just more 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 you know so one day we were sitting in church I had six children my life was fulfilled we had a boy four girls a boy is all rounded out a perfect big family you know we had it all and I was sitting in church and I don't even really remember even who was speaking or whatever but they were talking about international adoption and all the orphans in the world and all the children and it it really probably wouldn't have had to been international adoption I mean anytime I would hear that kids were without a family that really pinged something in my heart but the international part of it I had a friend that worked in that world and so I had heard a lot of it but just the statistics were staggering and I had this thought, why couldn't we, you know, we should adopt a child. And then you were like, that other thought, why? You have six children, you know. And I was like, why not? I mean, we have another bedroom. Like, you know, like I was always, but then you just go from why in the world would you even think that or have that thought when you have six children to why not? We have love. We have, you know, and and it was like that nervous feeling that you get in your stomach of like, oh my gosh, I would love to do that, you know, and you just kind of think, you know, for me, I lose interest pretty, you know, honestly, I've been a quitter most of my life. <laughs> I just, you know, if it's not easy, except with my kids and my family, like that was the different, or, you know, I don't usually quit on people, but I, but you know, if something's kind of hard, I can be happy without it. Never mind. Like, (laughs) it's fine. I'm just going to quit. You know, and I was really good with that. Like, I didn't really think that was that, you know, as long as you can be happy, like I would just, I make the choice to be content and be happy if the alternative was hard. And right. so, you know, that I know myself. So I walked out of there and I was like, yeah, well, that would be, you know, there'd take so much for us to ever adopt and just go on your merry way. And then a week went by and I still found myself thinking about it and, you know, picking up brochures or picking up looking on the internet for like children in need. And, you know, and then a month goes by and, I finally think, 
I'm going to approach my husband about this, you know, and, and I can remember when I finally, I mean, it had probably been a good two or three months in my heart before I even brought it up because you know, like you have six children, your husband's not going to be, he's just going to roll his eyes like another one of my harebrained ideas. Right. So I do want to just take a moment and pause right there that everyone needs to understand every adventure that God has for us starts with an idea. Every single one. At some point, we have to have an idea of something that God is laying on our heart. And I heard someone describe, uh, I don't even remember where it was, but a few months ago, I heard him say, a guy talking that, you know, when he has an idea, he judges whether it's from God or not, whether it goes away or if it, you know, we all have ideas. Right. And you're like, oh, right. I can move to the Caribbean. Well, that's a fun idea, but like, does it stay in your heart? Does it grow? Right. And I think that that is something I've learned with how God works. He will put an idea inside of us. But for me, I mean, I have ideas all the time, but I've learned to judge if it's God or not by if it stays around, if it keeps coming back. And when I give it attention, does it grow or does it like right. kind of feel like, I think this is leaving me, you know? Right. And I love how you started that because it was so clear this idea dropped inside of you, but as the first few months went by, you could tell it wasn't leaving. It was like beginning to grow inside of you. And that is something that we all need to understand with how adventure works is it starts with an idea and then it's our job to give attention to that idea. Right. (laughs) And then at some point we have to get to this next step that you come to and that is taking some kind of action towards that. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, I was like, well, I can't do this by myself. I am of the personality that if I could have done it by myself, I would have just went right forward to do it by myself. But I realized, okay, my husband's going to have to be involved in this. So I bring up the subject. (laughs) At some point, he's going (laughs) to recognize. And you have to understand, we've always... We've always had a lot of extra people in our home, a lot of extra kids. Like, I knew I was capable of bringing someone else into the family, but we hadn't ever adopted. We had always just picked up people that were um, more, you know, they were needy, but they weren't in the system system, yeah. you know. And I would we took guardianship of a couple and... You know, or they were older teenagers that needed a place to right. live. You know, so that was in our DNA as a family. But when I actually came to say officially, I want to adopt, adopt, like legally right. through, through the whole thing that they will be a part of our family. We had never done that before. And he very much was like, we don't need to do that. Like. No. Because how old were you guys at this point? I mean, I uh, was... 40. Maybe. Yeah, okay. I, we had just turned 40, and so I was like, okay, well, he didn't like that idea. There's a lot of my ideas he doesn't like, so I I must just be crazy. And then I started praying about it more, and for me, and I do have to say this is probably the only time that this happened, and I think God knew it would have to be this strong to get me where we were supposed to be for the destiny to come. But it got 
obsessive with me. I like literally could not get away from it. So every month, instead of it going away, it became stronger. And I just wanted to talk about it all the time. And, you know, Rob was starting to get to the point where he didn't want to talk about it because he knew it was going to, we were going to end up fighting or arguing. And, you know, it's just like, oh, why are you bringing this up again? So then I started talking to my kids about it because I knew, especially you <laughs> girls, would be like, oh, yeah, let's get a baby, you know, because we were one of those strange families where I can remember asking everyone if they'd rather have a baby or a pool when we were thinking about having Sawyer. And everyone chose a baby. You know, what kids do that? But we really had embraced the big family, more the merrier, more. And so this was, you know, we were into a full year of this. And I had began to really get, you know, fast and pray over it. And instead of and asking God to take it from me. And at this point, I didn't feel like it was adding anything to our life. It was making me discontent in with the children that I did have. And I, I would just beg God to take it from me. And it almost became something of like a woman that I see, women that I see that can't have children or can't get pregnant again. I mean, I felt like I was just had this deepest longing. I mean, I felt like someone that couldn't get pregnant. And yet in my mind, I kept telling myself, just stop it. Like you're making everyone, you're hurting your marriage. Rob's tired of talking about it. You are just becoming obsessive. But when I would go to bed at night, I would say, God, please just take this cup from me, you know, like take this desire. If this is not you, take it out of my heart. And then I would wake up and the first thing I'd think about was this longing for this child, this child that I didn't even know where they were or existed, but I had this longing. And so that was, it was, it was hard. It got to a point where, and I'm sure I didn't handle it right, but you know, Rob would say, I would say, are you praying about it? Like, and he'd say, yes, I'm praying about it. I just don't feel like you feel like. And, you know, in my, especially in my younger years, and I was very much more uh, religiously pious. And, you know, I was like, you're not praying about it. Because <laughs> I know what I know. And if you were praying about it, you would hear what I'm hearing, you know. So then that would turn into argument. He's like, you can't tell me I'm not praying about it when I am praying about it. I was like, I don't believe you. I don't think, and you know, I didn't think you don't hear God like I hear God because it's very clear what we're supposed to do. And so that, that what ended up being a hard, a hard, hard time. And you and dad haven't, hadn't ever had that experience like up, up until that point, anytime you'd come to dad and said, I want to have another child. He's always, he was always on board. Yeah, he was always on board. And you know, and that even, freaked me out because I was like he's let you have six children like every time I'd be like I think we should have another baby and he's like well yeah let's have another baby so I felt like I was being pushy I felt like I was being unappreciative of all the times he said yes but I still couldn't let it go to the point that I went to you know it was like we're going to have to have help 
navigating through this. And, you know, coming, being raised in the church, and even when I was raised, women had a different role in the church. And I was really kind of mistrustful of that. Like, I didn't really want to talk to people in the church because I always been told you have to submit to your husband, like whatever they want, then you're going to have to go by what he said. But surprisingly, you know, I talked to who I consider my spiritual father and he was like, well, I believe if you have this dream in your heart, you know, Rob's going to have to come along with this. He was like, you've navigated through your family life in a place where you are owed the respect that if you have this dream, he at least is going to have to listen. And that was so encouraging to me because I was just expecting to get knocked down and say, well, submit to your husband. But he was like, you know, you hear God. You have lived a life where you know you hear God. And he is going to have to listen to that and respect it also. So that was that was a actually a big turning point for me of like, I have permission mm-hmm, to, to go on this, this. adventure, to yeah. fight for this if I want, without being out of line spiritually. Right. And I don't know. I mean, everyone may have a different opinion on that. But that's that's how I felt. I was like, okay, I do hear God, and I can't let this go. I Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think that one of the the parts we've talked about with adventure is that you have to go to uncomfortable places. You have to go to places you weren't expecting. You have to go to unfamiliar places and not just that, but like the, our adventures always take us there. Like that is what an adventure is, is somewhere unfamiliar. And here you are at 40 years old, having believed that you had wrapped up your family, moving along, dad's moving along, and then all of a sudden you have this dream that a supportive husband that has always been on board isn't supporting. Like, when we come to places we don't know, he will reveal new parts of who he is to us. Like, not just who you are, but who he is. Like, you have these all these expectations of what kind of God you serve. Like, oh, I'm going right. to go and talk to my spiritual leader, and they're just going to cut me down because right. my voice doesn't matter. And yet you go, and God's like, God opens a door that says, you know, gives... He obviously gave someone counsel to give you. It's like, no, this is from God. You need to fight for this. Well, and even knowing your personality, you know, like people that know me think I have a pretty strong, outspoken type personality. But I've also very much, I'm the baby of the family. I don't like to be told no. That feeling, that rejected. I don't like to ask things of someone Unless I know they're going to say yes. You know, that's just one of my hangups. Like, I don't like to be, it feels embarrassing and feels rejection. You don't like to be needy. Yeah, and I don't want to be needy. And especially with my husband, like, I didn't want him to tell me no. Not out of rebellion, but I just, I don't like putting myself out there. Vulnerability. And so, we were probably a year and eight months into this journey, like a year and a half and it wasn't going away. And, um, we had went to marriage counseling. We dealt with a lot of things that we really hadn't dealt with before in our marriage. And so all of that was good stuff, but he was going on a men's retreat and I just was like, I am giving it one last shot. And then God, If I pour out my heart to him 
And we're not really a couple that pours out our hearts together. <laughs> Even that, I mean, we've been married, you know, 25 years, probably close to that time. But even that felt very vulnerable for me. And I was like, he was going on a men's retreat. And so I sat down and I wrote this letter. And I tried to just be as completely honest as I possibly could be. And I just said, you know, we started dating when I was 15 years old. And we got married when I was 18. And we have six beautiful children together. I'm not going to sit here and say that I no longer will love you. But I said, I've walked this long enough and it feels so deep and intentional inside my spirit and soul that I do believe that I will never quite be able to love you on the levels that I could if you deny this of me. Like, this is a dream that I don't even... I didn't even really believe that I had dreamed myself. Like, I don't know why I can't give it up, but I can't. And I am just asking you to please reconsider. Like, I know, you know, and he's worried about practical things. You know, what if we can't afford another child? What if they don't have a trust fund that the other grandkids had for their college? Or what, what, what if, what if? And, you know, it, it is a lot. But I still, I was like, I don't think this little child that I didn't even know where they were at, you know, this little orphan in a third world country is going to carry about their trust fund. You know, don't adopt me. I need a trust fund, you know. So I think all of that was, and so I wrote that to him. And, you know, I can remember every time I would think about that letter, you know, and they were in a place on the retreat where it didn't really have service. And, you know, one of those places men like to go. And so they, I kept thinking, I wonder if he's read that letter. I wonder if, I wonder what he thought, you know, what if he didn't even see it? And then I'm just sitting there on pins and needles, like, what's he going to say when he comes in? And so we didn't really talk about it. And I think it was like three days that he was gone. And then he came home. And when he walked in the door... He just kind of grabbed me up and he looked at me and he was like, I want you to know that if it is your dream to adopt a child, then I will go on this adventure with you. He's like, I'm not going to say I'm really excited about it and that I even understand like you do. But then he said one of the most important things that I think you need people on your adventure that will walk beside you and trust you trust you you know he said in all honesty you've never led our family in the wrong direction yet and so if this is what you feel like God is telling us to do then I'll go with you and we can do it and so that letter was really I mean I know the story so I know there's more to come but that letter was one of the things that you had to risk along the way. Yes. Like you had to put something out there that is like, am I going to do this thing that I feel like I'm supposed to do, but I could get, re- like, I could get rejected. Oh. And this could be a turning point of my marriage. Like if dad comes home and says, no. I was I- actually quite scared because I really didn't know how I was going to move forward if the answer was no. That's how big it had gotten inside of me. And not just that, really, in this adventure so far, 
dad would be your number one problem that you face. Yeah. <laughs> like he, I mean, when you talk about the parts of adventure, you have to have problems. You have to have a villain. And honestly, so far in the adventure, dad is the villain. Here. Right. Like, yeah. We have a goal, and he's the one standing in your way. And that got really tricky because you're you're trying to navigate how is God giving me this this idea, this this adventure that I believe is from him, but he's also given me this family with this man who is from him, right. and I'm supposed to submit, but I'm supposed to fight. Like, where is that wrestling of how how do I stay good here without getting without giving up yes. this this adventure? But how do I not just get bitter and angry with this and man? It's very. I mean. It is a really hard process. I mean, I spent a lot of time, and I do have to say, you know, I spent a lot of time in prayer and just on my face and begging God. I I beg God to take it from me. I beg God to make it happen. I beg God, you know, to give me a different husband. I mean, I was like, change his heart or make it clear to me, you know, and a year and a half for some people, you know, but for me, that might as well have been 35 years. Like, <laughs> Speaking I, we of are the, not. <laughs> the person who likes to give up on her hard things, a year and a half is longer than she's waited for anything for in her anything. life. I mean, I just didn't quit, you know, and I'm like, God, you won't let me quit and you won't let me move forward. I am not happy here. And, you know, that is a, that's a hard place. So I think, um, so then what was really interesting, I was like, okay, let's go. But there's not just like a place on the internet that you go and you pick up a child. I mean, that in itself You're is a just long at process. The start, right. Right. Of and I've known, I've been around international adoptions to know how long it can be. And you have to find an agency and then you pick your country and then you do your home studies and you have to travel there and like there's government stuff. I mean, it's expensive. And I'm like, okay. Obstacle, big obstacle number one, Rob's on board. Now we get to start the process. And so I started calling people. Well, about, I don't even know if it was two weeks. It might have only been like a week after he came home from my friend, Pam Cope. Uh, she ended up calling and she was like, you won't believe this story I've just heard of this child that is going to go into our handicap shelter that we just opened in Vietnam. Like she has this incredible story and I've been doing some research and I think maybe we can bring her to the United States on a medical visa and let her get adopted. And said, she tells me the story that her parents had detonated a bomb and she survived. She lost her legs and I'll just have to tell you, like, oh, that is a crazy story. But not one time, really, did I think, well, that's my child, you know. Because as I, yes, I had fought. I don't care that we have six children. What is one more? I also knew that we had our 14 sports schedules, you know. And I'm just like, I'm not equipped. God didn't call me to take on a handicapped special needs child. I can add I a child. I know God's call oh, my life. I know life. what God said. And I don't like hard things. I don't like, I like hard things. I like to quit. So that I sounds would. hard. And that sounds like something I don't know what I am doing. Right. So I 
was like, oh, that is amazing. And, and she would always give me updates on different kids and different things. And I love that world. Then the next couple of days she called and she was like, to get her out of the country, I'm going to have to go over there. Do you want to go with me? And I was like, I've always had wanted to go on one of Pam's adventures. I mean, she goes on adventures all the time and I'm just living vicariously through her. And so I was like, yeah, I want to go, which even that was a big deal because it wasn't a guided tour, you know, <laughs> but she had been to Vietnam several times. I was like, yeah, I'll go with you. I'll be the person that's by your side navigating through all this. Then a few days after that, she was like, what would you think if we had, it, this sounds like it's going to be a really hard trip. I'm thinking maybe we should try to get our husbands to go. And I was like, oh, Rob won't want to go. Is Randy going to go? And he said, well, he will go, but he wants Rob to go too. So we both asked our husbands and surprisingly, Rob was like, yeah, I'll go. And I was even shocked at that. But once again, you know, I'm like, we can go, we can see the situation we can meet these children and they had a, a home for street kids and we can see the real need and i thought that is really going to ignite in rob's heart right that we are doing the right thing we're going to give a child similar to this but not a special needs child a home right so off we go you know and uh it was Super interesting. I looking back, God had really set us up as one of the last things that was said to me as I walked out the door. Chloe, she was nine at the time. She was like, Mom, I just can't understand why this can't be our baby. And I said, Chloe, like we have no business having a child with no feet like we go 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 like we need they need feet they need feet you know Plus, feet are required in i this might family. want to be raising another athlete so you know it's like i said we have so many schedules and sports going on i was like we just don't have the time or the energy or the resources to you know i was like they have to have feet they got to keep up with this family and so out the door, I walked, and that was one of my very top, you know, that was one of the times that I look back and, you know, out of the mouth of babes. But so we get over there, and she's not our child, and we're bringing her back to another family. And tell us about that. Like, you had to get on the back. To go get her, you had to get on the back of... Oh, the the trip to go get her. First of all, I'd never flown. It was 38 hours. We weren't on the plane, but the trip... You had flown, but you hadn't flown. Like, I hadn't flown, the... like, overseas to where it was over a four or five hour flight. It was the long, you know, maybe six hours to Europe. But... The whole time, counting layovers, it was 38 hours that it took us to get there. And so you're just kind of like this. Up. But at the same time, I was so proud of us because we hadn't ever really done anything like that. And it did feel adventuresome. And, and I was so very glad that Rob had went with me. And, you know, and I was like, we're doing it. We're doing, we're doing an adventure. This isn't really us as a couple. But, you know, you're proud when you're doing something new. And so we get there, and then we have to take another flight from Saigon to Da Nang, which is about a two-hour flight to go to central Vietnam. 
And so we have the address of her grandparents, where we're going to get her from. And all this time, I'm just on the back, in the back. We're just along for the ride. And um, then we have to go. We pick up all these city, city and government officials from town to town. So it like takes us four hours in this van. And the longer we go, we're going more and more up into the jungle. And we're talking and... Like we have a translator, we're tra we're talking to our translator. At that point, we realize our translator does not speak English. She is not <laughs> understanding one thing that we're saying. She nods a lot and smiles. Very pretty girl in a kimono type dress, but she did not understand English. One small problem with the translator. <laughs> yeah, it was she like, cannot translate. Oh. And so. We're just laughing about that because everything we're trying to, every question we're trying to ask, like how long? And every time it's one hour, one hour. <laughs> I'm like, it's been three hours, <laughs> one hour. But that's kind of how other countries are. Right. Time is not. Right. I mean, many places I've traveled, you're like, we're like, how long? 17 minutes. Okay. And they're like, oh yeah, one hour. And you're right. Like five <laughs> hours later, you're like, wow, our one hour is very different. Yes. And so we're just, we're going along and we, we, we know nothing because our translator can't tell us anything. And we get into this where you can tell it's just this tiny little poor village. And they pulled the van over, and side note, we got to go to the bathroom there, and that was my first Asian squatty potty yes. that you that I experienced. Which is and quite literally. Once again, yeah, you squat over a hole, and that you pull this board over, and like I was like, whoa, wow, this is maybe more adventuresome. <laughs> I than have I really crossed was. the line <laughs> on my, my My legs as I'm squatting are shaking because I'm so out of shape. I'm like, wow, I would have to really build up my sitting muscles if I had to squat like this all the time. And so once again, we I know nothing of like what this schedule is like. We've pulled over this village. I think we're just going to the bathroom. Then all of a sudden you're, oh, you know, they're speaking in their language and all these men start coming out of different houses and pulling up their little carport doors and bringing out motorcycles. And they're like, we catch on that from this point on, we can't go any further in the van that we have to get on the backs of motorcycles. And so... I am just my hair. This adventure is filled with unfamiliar territory for I you. I know, mom. but it's just like my hair's blowing. I'm like, we're doing it. I'm being an adventurer. Like I was so proud of myself. And so we go and we pull up into this, and this is when it starts getting god weird. Like there'd been several things looking back I could put together but even during this part of the trip I was like okay this is getting weird we're just standing there Rob and I in the background and Pam and Randy are talking to the grandparents of this child we're getting and then villagers start coming around to see what you know and we had brought suckers and stuff for the kids and in the distance I can see this little girl is probably two little girls. One's probably about six and one's maybe about seven. And they're carrying this baby. And I could tell that her pant legs were flopping around. She had long pajama pants on, really dirty and just kind of grimy. But they're coming out of the jungle of these trees 
And they're looking straight at Rob and I, which we're just standing off to the corner because once again, this isn't our deal. And they just take a beeline up to us and hand straight to me this child. Well, I'm thinking this really shouldn't be me. This isn't my deal. Pam should be the first one to hold the baby. But, you know, they were just determined. And I put my hands out and she just came straight to me. And I thought that was really interesting because I was really concerned. You know, no, I didn't believe this was our child, but this was someone's child. And I had prayed a lot about God, prepare her heart. Holy Spirit, you go before us and let her know that we are here to help her, that we love her. Don't let her be afraid. Don't let her be scared. Let her know in her spirit that we are there to help her. And it was just so crazy because here, I mean, I assume she's never even seen anyone that doesn't have black hair and speaks her language. And they just handed her to me and she puts her arms out and just comes into my arms. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is cool. Oh, she's precious. And then, but once again, don't think anything about it. They start talking all again. Well, we've picked up all these government officials along with them. Somewhere along the line, we have picked up men with machine guns and in, <laughs> in like camouflage wear. And I'm like, and they're standing there. And so they start laying out this table. They pull this table out and they start laying all these papers across this table. And we're once again in the background, just like, oh, this is quite the funny process. And they turn around and they point to Rob and I, and say, point to the papers and point to us. And we're just like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, this isn't us. We have nothing to do with this. And they, the translator says, they want you to sign. And I said, no, we don't have anything to do with this. Like, we're not on the foundation's paperwork. And they start getting upset. They want you to sign the papers. And I'm like, but we shouldn't sign the papers. We are no one, you know? And like, they have these guns. And finally, Randy, who's, you know, Randy and Pam, who are the founders of Touch of Life Ministries, they're like, just sign the papers. Like, they have machine guns. <laughs> <laughs> and so, we're, plus, I know nothing. It's all in Vietnamese. I know nothing. So we go down the line and we sign these papers. And uh, looking back, I just think how funny it was of God, you know, giving us signs along the way of what was to come. So we take this baby and at some point we're just kind of like, okay, it's time to get out of here now. So we're like, but we have to get on the motorcycle. Another funny part was Randy had tried to come all prepared. And so he had this little backpack to put Haven in, you know, one of those little carrier things because we're on motorcycles. And of course, they're not wearing helmets. They're not, you know, you see little kids, like five little kids on a motorcycle in Vietnam all by themselves. <laughs> you know, they're not worried about safety, but we're trying to show them that we're responsible and we're safe. Well, come to find out getting a kid that has long pajama pants on but no feet into a little carrier <laughs> those things are hard <laughs> yeah so we're trying he's trying and they're just all looking like you stupid americans what are you doing 
<laughs> Finally, he's like, forget the carrot. <laughs> take the baby and run, you know? And so we leave. Most of the people that we brought did not come with us. So I don't know what they were doing. It was just us in the van and our driver and our fixer guy, Mr. Lee. Uh, and when we went back, so I don't know what happened to those people, but even at that, you know, and I'm still just in this oblivion of, oh, this is so amazing. And, and another long story, I mean, Pam and Randy had lost their 15 year old son and that just that weightiness of that, like, yes, he died, but without his death, like you could feel his presence so much with us because it was his legacy that sent Pam on this adventure, that sent me on this adventure of like, this child is going to be rescued. But without Jansen's death, we would have never even known that this child existed. So we were just all crying. It was just this real moment in the van when we got in there and and off we go to our very nice hotel that's on the ocean. And More your speed. Yeah. <laughs> we got into my comfort zone. It was much better. It was a beautiful hotel. And we went from there. And then, um, so that night we gave her a bath and she, you know, was just kind of like, who are these people just kind of staring at us? The next day we got up and she wanted Rob. Like we went to breakfast and we went to walk on, on beside the ocean and she wanted Rob to carry her. And she just laid her head on his shoulder and fell asleep as he walked down the ocean way and he's always looking for shells and she was just snuggled up in his neck and I was like oh he's gonna be so good at this he's gonna love a child you know he he'll be able to love a child that's not our own and you know just real real sweet so then we have to load up to get back on the plane to go back to Saigon and we get on the plane and she starts crying. Well, she starts putting her hands out to Rob again. And she wants Rob to hold her and Rob to carry her on the plane, Rob to carry her off the plane. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet, you know. And so then we start the process of getting her paperwork to get out of Vietnam. And a lot of, several things happen before this, but we have to take her to the doctor to get all vaccinations and to report of what they're able, like what she needs medically to get out of the country. And we're just sitting there. We have a new translator who does speak English and Pam is sitting there talking to him and I'm holding Haven. And I literally flipped her down she was wearing my sunglasses and I flipped her down at this point she had smiled a little bit but she hadn't and when she came up she just did this guttural belly laugh and right at that moment I knew that she was my child that she was the baby I'd been waiting for it literally was like she was conceived inside of me at that time I felt something physical in me and it's like my eyes were open and I was, and God said this is the child that you've been praying for this is this is your baby and I was very much like oh crap 
like, this isn't in the plans. Like, this this isn't supposed to, this isn't our baby. Because Peyton Randy had organized a family to take yes. this little girl when you got home. Yes, to stay with them. And then the idea would eventually, they would adopt her through her medical visa. And so this family was expecting her. Plus, I wasn't thinking I was could handle a special needs child. And so that was like, oh, gosh. And so the days like, start oh, going crap. by. Yeah. <laughs> oh, crap. I mean, oh, what in the world? And so I bring it up to Rob. I was like, babe. I think she is our child. I think, you know, and he knows me. He knows I fall in love with every child. And he's like, you think every child's your child, but this child isn't our child. You know, this this other family is waiting for this child. And, you know, that wasn't the plan when we came. We will have our child, but this isn't your child. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I think maybe this is our child. And so we ended up having to take, stay two weeks, maybe two and a half weeks to get her passport and every day. And we really had no, it was really open-ended that we didn't know how long we were going to have to stay. And at this point we had talked to Pam and Randy and we were very much like, could we adopt this child? We will pay for the other family to adopt a child if that's what they really feel like they're supposed to do. And they were like, I don't think so. Like, that wasn't the plan, and we better follow through with our word. And so at this point, I was like, well, this isn't going to happen. I am missing my children. I was already had been along, away from them longer than I'd ever been away from them before. And, I was and like, Dad came home right. a week And so you. he was going to go home, and I was supposed to go home too. Mm. And I wanted to go home. And Pam even said you can go home. I can do this by myself. But it was kind of one of those things. If you go home, you guys will never be friends again. Like you can't just (laughs) abandon her. But everything inside of me was like, this is hard. This is hard. I'm falling in love with this child more and more every day. I'm getting in way over my head. I need to just go home and hug my kids and remind myself that I have six children and that this is not our baby. So you're at another crossroads of risk. Yes. Of cost. Yes. If I say yes to this next step, it's going to cost me. And I want off of this highway. I want off of this adventure and I'm done. Yes. It's the crossroads that you have to have those cost moments. If the adventure doesn't cost you anything, it's not worth anything. And I can definitely tell you, I mean, I felt sick to my stomach. I just wanted to go home and be out of this. Like, it was another one of God's funny, funny jokes that he has taught me so much through, but I (laughs) needed to get home. And I know myself. I was like, I was on very shaky ground. And this is what we would call a huge problem standing in the way of you and the thing that you felt called to do. Like literally the child you now feel called to is going to another family. Everybody has told you this. Like this is My kids are struggling. You know, my husband's leaving. I'm going to be doing something that's very uncomfortable. And so he leaves. And Pam and I start living this life of two moms. Let me just tell you, I highly recommend two moms. (laughs) 
it made me totally understand a lesbian relationship <laughs> and the fact that wow we all you know we just did it like clockwork you know what she wasn't thinking of like while she was feeding her i was laying her clothes out and she was fixing her hair and i was putting her shoes on you know and we were this team and we we're living in this little bubble and so both of us are just falling in love with this child so it is our constant companion of this big elephant in the room of because then she starts thinking I think maybe I would like to adopt this child. <laughs> <laughs> like we just fall in love. All of us just fall in love together. And it was this moment, these moments that I'll never forget. And so the days go by and we just wrangle with it. Like, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Are we doing the right thing? Are we, you know, and so at this point, I'm finally, it's the last day, and we're loading up. We've got our paperwork. We're going to get out of the country. And part of me is like, I've got to get out of here. The quicker, the better. The other part is, once I walk out of this country, this child is lost to me forever. And I would tell myself, well, they're just going to be in a town not that far away. It'll be okay. You'll get to keep up with her. But that by this point... I loved her so much that I would have even been more pleased with Pam taking her because she is in my life on a daily right. basis. I mean, I would have done anything for this child. And so we start our journey and Pam laughs because she is like, I should have known. I thought if I hear you tell her story one more time. <laughs> And not sleep because we're on this 18-hour flight, you know, and I can't sleep. I'm just worked <laughs> up into this mess of emotion. And I'm just so proud of her. And I'm telling everyone her incredible story. And I just think she's this most incredible child. And we get to Singapore. We have a 12-hour layover, maybe 14-hour layover. But we can't leave the airport because Haven doesn't have the right paperwork to get back in. So we have to stay in this airport for 14 hours. And it's a big, beautiful airport. Well, they have one of those weird airport hotels. So we decide that we're going to get a room. Creepiest place I've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> like they don't have windows or anything. It's just these little boxes. And But we're like, okay, it's better than trying to sleep on the plane. And Pam's looking at me like, you haven't shut up long <laughs> enough to sleep. So you need to get to, some sleep. And we check in, and this baby is laying beside me. She's just tucked in under the covers, and she would just love to snuggle. She would just snuggle up next to you. And I just laid there, and I could just feel the tears rolling down my cheeks and hitting my pillow of like, I'm going to let her go. I'm going to lose her. And I feel like I've fought for her for so long and I didn't even know she existed and I'm going to give her away. So I got up and I had, I'm not a good journal journaler, but I felt like God had told me to really journal through all of this. So I sat down and I started writing and I said, God, I don't understand. I feel like this is one of your really cruel jokes that you will comfort me by telling me how much I will learn. I feel betrayed by you. I feel duped. I feel like my heart is breaking. And I feel like if I have to give 
this child away, I will start crying and I'll never be able to stop. And I'm on this cold floor in this weird hotel you have room. Hit what we call rock bottom. <laughs> I am. Like I even took a pillow in there and it's this cold tile floor. And I can remember my face just slammed of just crying and just I mean bawling. I'm trying to, you know, do that real ugly hard cry, but do it silently because they're sleeping right next door out of the bathroom. And once again, I don't sleep, but I'm just like, I felt like I was walking towards a firing squad and that I might just lose it. And then you think, well, you haven't slept for like 48 hours. You're probably going to just lose your crap all over the airport when you get there. And we arrive, we go through customs, and this beautiful family, sweet, sweet family that wait, waited for this child were there, and they took her, and I'm supposed to be chit-chatting as first time I'd met them, and, you know, and then Pam says, I'm going to ride home with them just to make sure everything's okay, and the baby does okay, so, you think you'll do okay driving home by yourself? Well, we're in Tulsa. It's an hour and a half drive home. Four l- hours later, I am roaming around <laughs> in some kind of Indian country. That I am can't drive because I'm crying. I don't know where I'm at. I'm lost. This is before GPS. I'm stopping at gas stations to get directions in Indian land trying and everything is we'll go to Chiquaqua Dakota <laughs> like I don't even understand what they're saying and I'm trying to remember it and I'm like I'm just I told Rob I called him he's at a ball game they're waiting for us me to get there everyone's waiting for me to get home and I'm like I may just have to pull over somewhere and you come and get me. I don't know if I can. I remember this because we were at a basketball game and at there was the the dome. dome. (laughs) And I remember like we were all excited for you to get home. And dad kept like taking phone calls. He was like, I don't know where I may have to go get mom. And I like, I have only a few memory. I mean, I was 18. I'm saying I wasn't a huge part of the story. So I have these little nuggets of the story. I mean, you weren't telling all of us like every part. But, you know, I just remember being at the Dome, like, like, mom, like, I mean, he just said, he would just told us kids, like, mom is, like, she's not doing well. (laughs) Like, this is not, this has not went well. And we were at home, like, I can remember having a conversation with dad in your guys' bathroom, like, once he got home, and I'm like, well, dad, why don't we just adopt? Like if, if you like, cause dad, you could kind of tell like he had fallen in love with, he's like, guys, she, this little girl is so amazing. Like he just, and you could hear it. I'm like, well, why don't we take her? He's like, no, like we can't. There is another family waiting for her. And we're just like, what? Like, like we did have a culture of having people enter our home and it right. felt so natural. Like, right. the only problem was that she didn't have feet. Now you guys see, like, sh- right. that's okay. So what's the problem? And it was like, no. And and then dad being like, um, I got a plan for the kids. Oh, okay. And then dad being like, no, um, 
like we just can't you know and I think he I even I feel like I remember him saying like if we could go back we would but we can't right it is decided and we're all you know we're gonna move forward so where I get home I think it was a Saturday and I I think or maybe it was a Sunday but it was like the 14th of November and you know, you know you're going to have jet lag, but physically, I don't ever remember feeling so tired and so discouraged and so sad. Like, literally, I feel like, I felt like my child had died and my dream had died. Everything just felt so dead inside of me. And I just, I just felt so betrayed by God. I was like, you take me on this journey and I say, yes, yes, yes. And I felt like I tried to do it so right. Like I always, that was my personality. I wanted to do it right. So I wanted to have a good attitude from this, but I didn't have a good attitude and I was sad. And so I can remember he, Rob and I, it was day one, day two. And I was just like, I would send you guys to school and then I would crawl back in bed and just say, I have jet lag. But, I mean, it was the closest thing I'd ever have come to severe severe depression. (laughs) I was just like, I can't move. I can't do anything. And that Tuesday was my birthday, November 16th. And Rob's like, let's go to dinner. You'll feel better. Let's get out of the house. I can remember just getting ready thinking, oh, I don't want to do this. But we go to dinner. And he's just such a simple man. He'd never been real romantic or anything, but he gives me a card. And in that card, there's a letter. And I can tell that he's written it out. And at one point, he says, I know you're so heartbroken, but through this journey, I have seen that I can love a child that was not biologically ours. And because that was another fear that he had. It was like, what if I don't feel the same? You know, he's like, I know that I can. And I know that we are supposed to adopt. And one day, even though this didn't work out, one day you will have your baby and we will adopt a child. And I just folded up the letter. I mean, literally, I mean, it was just so clear to me. And I said, you just don't understand. I don't want to adopt anymore. And I know after two years of me nagging him, he just wanted to blow his brains out. But I was like, no, I said, I think there was a very specific child for us. And I don't need a child. I have six children that I love dearly. They're so special to me. I didn't know just a child for any child. I was like, this was my child. I know she is my child. And if I can't have her, I just don't have an appetite to do this anymore. I said, I don't know what God's doing. I'm sure it was a huge conspiracy of great learning that I have went on. But I was like, I don't want to adopt anymore. I mean, it was gone. Like, I have no appetite for this. And he, you know, and I think all of you guys, because I am an upbeat, positive person. I mean, everyone started getting kind of worried. Like, mom's not snapping out of it because I'm a very quick processor, you know. And for me, four days of sadness is like long, long time, you know. And and so the days went by and I had my mom and sister take me out the next day for my birthday for lunch. And Pam calls and 
And I said, I don't think she's doing very good. She just sounded really funny on the phone. And she kept, and I kept saying, well, how's the baby? And she said, oh, yeah, she's, she's doing okay. And this family that took her also had a two-year-old. And the girl we brought from Vietnam was 16 months old. So they were very close to the same age. But they were both babies. And she's like, seems like the two-year-old that they have isn't doing real well and I'm a little concerned because the mom always goes to her child and I just don't know if it's going that well but you know but she didn't really say anything and I was like oh well it'll all work out and I'm just trying to really keep my distance at this point and I staying totally out of it and little do I know that Pam now is not sleeping and she just feels like maybe something isn't quite right, even though this was a great family that maybe it wasn't a good fit. And so she went to check on the baby. And I just, so I just feel like everyone played their role in this, including this little orphan from Vietnam. Like, she was so in tune spiritually of what she needed to do and her own destiny in her hands. Like those prayers of having the Holy Spirit speak to her, I feel like the Holy Spirit was so, I mean, even a 16-month-old, I mean, it was crazy. And uh, I guess she was 20 months, so the 16 when she lost her legs, and she was 20 months old. And Peyton said she grabbed her up. She was crying in the high chair. And she grabbed her up and she just started walking with her. And she was like, Shelly, I swear to God, I sat down on this stump and she just put both of her little hands on both sides of my face. And I could hear her say in my spirit, you've betrayed me. You've given me to the wrong family. And there were just some concerns. The family had concerns because they didn't have health insurance. They knew things were going to be really. And so... Pam went to them and said, do you think you made the right decision? Because we do have another family. And at this point, Pam and Randy were thinking very seriously about taking her too. And said, we do have another family that would take her if you don't want her. And they decided that they would pray about it. So on a Friday morning of November 19th, I'm starting to pull myself together. I get a phone call. And it's Pam. And she's telling me all these issues that are going on. And she's like, at 4 o'clock today, they're going to decide whether they're going to keep her or let her go. And I really felt like Pam and Randy said, and if they let her go, we're going to take her. But instead, she said, if they decide to let her go, do you and Rob still want her? And I telling you it was like my child had died and come back to life and I knew at that point what they would decide because I knew I really had her God and that she was my child and that I was going to get to raise her and I was going to get to be with her and it was like I could hear angels singing I mean just like like yes like there's so many things in life that don't work out but this adventure for me, there would have been so much good that came from the adventure. But man, when something actually works out the way you want it to, because we don't get to experience that that often in life. I mean, 
especially these big things, you know, I, I've just braced myself for disappointment most of my life. Like, just be ready. You're going to be disappointed. And for once in my life, the ultimate of gifts, God had taken me on this journey. He was with me all the step of the way. And this time, like sometimes I do believe it's God and it doesn't work out the way we want it. But this time it got to work out. And at about 6.30, 7 o'clock at night, they walked this child into our home. And it literally, I mean, you can testify to this. It was literally like she had been there forever. Absolutely. I can just remember everyone just gathering around. And she, all the things that she had struggled with in the past with strangers, it's, it's like I could just look in her little face and she's like, I'm home. These are my siblings. These are my, like, these are my people. Even aunts and uncles were there, you know, and her future grandparents were there. And it was just like, she knew she was home and I knew she was home. And that's kind of my, that's my biggest adventure of my life. It's truly one of the best stories that I've ever heard and had the privilege of living. And the only reason it is, I mean, that much more powerful. I mean, Haven now is 20 years old, has lived in our family, in our, like, it just was such, it was truly like for such a time as this. And it, the thing that I want to encourage people listening to, like, I truly feel like my call is to help people take the adventures God has given them. But so many people don't know what it takes to do it. Like, oh. and, and so many people think that because of the obstacles, because of the things that come in the way, because of the risk of the cost that it's going to take, whether that be time, finances, rejection, what if like the whole time you were on this adventure you had to journey with the what if at the end I don't get the child right and and I always say it's like the the best gift of the adventure even more than than the thing that happens which in this case is a bit different but oftentimes it's like even more than the result it's the transformation of who we became but also who you discovered God is. Right. And so when you look at this, what would you say was the biggest transformation of who you became through this? Like, how would you define it before and after your transformation? Well, I really believe for me, I had a major spiritual breakthrough of understanding who my father, who Father God was. I was raised in a very strict religious performance-based atmosphere so it was always about what you did what you did what you did and for me the whole time I could feel him so close to me and I knew I mean I'd lived enough life with God that he would have stayed so close to my broken heart if that wasn't the outcome that happened but because of this was so monumental I'd always questions God's love for me but it was so personal because not many people are made up like I am of that wanting to have lots of children and being able to love wholeheartedly just very easily and accepting new people into our home and new, you know. And so I felt like it was so designed by God to say, I am a good God that gives good gifts. And I know for you, 
this is the ultimate gift. Mm-hmm. And you are done questioning if I love you. Do you understand that? There's a line in the sand. And every time you start to step over that again, you remember this adventure that I took you on. You remember that I am a God who knows how to give the kind of gifts that mean the world to you. Like the kind of love that only a God that created me and knitted me together and knows my ins and outs so much. Like nobody else could know me well enough to give me this gift. And so for me, it was like done with performance, done with not trusting God, done with, you know, and you say that easily and obviously you still, but it did change me in a way of like, I need to start being as loyal to God as God is to me. And I need to defend his heart and his purposes and just a whole different walk of journey of of another step of getting out of religion and deeper into relationship with him. So for me, it, it changed everything. I had been on that road for probably 10 years, you know, of learning about God's love. But then that was that final step of him saying it is finished. Like you're going to understand this and you're going to understand it well. And I am a huge believer that our walk with God, it's not just all forced on us and all planned out. Like I think that what you choose matters. Right. And from the very beginning of that moment of you being in that service, hearing about international adoption and fostering that, that idea and fostering that feeling that you were supposed to move towards this voice that was saying, I have a gift for you. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. I have a, I have a promise for you. But there's this belief that the things God asks us to do, we should be comfortable with. We shouldn't feel anxious. They won't feel horrible. Like, it's, it's not right. the truth. Like, our call on our life will cost us and it will be it will tap into those core not all of them but a lot of them tap into the core fears that we possess like these things hit you in ways that you're like ooh, like I wouldn't have picked it to go this way like right if you were there you would have said okay I will rewind this and just choose Pam when Pam calls I'll say we'll adopt her yes. but like but like the adventure like you were so clear like no you and dad no we cannot, it wasn't even like you were like, oh, please, let's adopt this little girl. You know, it was like both of you guys were like, no. But what I've always thought was so interesting about your your guys' story is that in this journey, you truly did feel like dad was a problem, was the villain. Right. And looking back how it all worked out, if dad would have said yes in the very beginning, you would have went more the traditional route, I'm certain. Absolutely. You would have never saw the need to go to Vietnam, and you would have never adopted her. So all I just think it's so interesting. And I even look back, I did the timing, and like there's so much about God of what his knowing all and how it all works together that can blow your mind. But when God dropped that in my heart, that would have been right about the time that Haven was conceived. Like he had a plan for her. And when you just think about the millions of people and the hundreds of thousands of miles and the 
like we're grain, we're just like sand, grain of sand. Like it's just a little particle and all these had to come together. Like if he had said yes, we would have had a different child. We would have already been in the midst of that we couldn't have even gotten out of an adoption right. for this child. Like, but yet I was so mad and angry and distrustful of him of saying, you're not even praying about it. You don't hear God. You're doing nothing because I know. And yes, I did know. Like, but it still had to take that amount of time. Right. Because we had to know, we had to hear about her. Like, even the fact that we heard about her. I mean, she's one child in Vietnam of many, 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 many children. Right. You know, just those are the type of things that just blow my mind right. about God. Right. Well, I think you are the perfect person to start this series. I'm hoping to every other week to start have a guest and just talking about an adventure and kind of looking at the realistic, what it really looks like to take an adventure with God. It's not all excitement and rainbows and warm and fuzzy and you don't get to stay in your seat at a service every day and it's not all comfortable. It takes you saying yes and you taking action and really pursuing these ideas, these whispers inside of you, and putting yourself out there and saying, I'm going to spend my time. I'm going to actually take action towards this thing. And I'm not just going to let it go. And unfortunately, it would be so much easier if we knew the outcome. Like, if if God could have just whispered in my heart. I mean, I feel like he was telling me it was going to be okay. But there was but still your circumstances such, weren't lining no. up. So you and I felt like he was whispering, yourself. saying, you know, just trust me, just trust me. And I am rolling my eyes the whole time saying, oh, yeah, I'll trust you again. So I can just walk through this disappointment. And I become this better person like that was my idea of God. And let me tell you, I've been there many a times. And that was his goal to make me into a different person. And it is so hard because we don't know the outcomes of these adventures. I mean, whether you're dating someone, I mean, if you knew that God would just write it out, I even asked God during that trip, write it out. Like you don't have to use blood. You can just use my lipstick, but just write on the mirror. Who is this child's parents? Like, and if you write this other family that I will let it go. Like I was praying that hard for like, like, I would get up and say, is it there? Like, that's how <laughs> like Counting deeply, on a miracle. Yeah, that we were wanting God to tell us exactly what to do. And it is hard when you're, you're jumping out and stuff, and you don't know the outcome. If we got to write the stories from the ending to the beginning, that would be great. But we don't get to. It very well could have been a different outcome. Mm -hmm. But it still would have been an adventure mm -hmm. with God. And that's what I think we have to let go of. This is only God if it turns out the way we want it to. Yeah. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Right. But I also think how many people haven't stuck in there. Right. Like how many times do we stop? How many times have I stopped? Right. How many times was the promise good? Right. But we just didn't stick in there. It was too hard. Yeah. Coming back to the quitting. <laughs> yes. Me as a quitter. I know I am. It's okay. Um, well, thank you very much, Mom. I appreciate it. I know that everyone's going to absolutely love this episode. And 
I really appreciate you sharing your adventure with us. Well, you're quite welcome. Bye. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, would you mind leaving a review? That would be amazing. And also, if you'd like to connect on social media, I'm Redemption Unveiled everywhere or Haley Marie Carter on Instagram. I would love to connect with you. I will see you back here next Wednesday for a new podcast episode. And remember that the earth is waiting for you to show up. Have a great day.